I had the big gear on, I just rolled it home. Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say. Hello, welcome to episode 72 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who rolled it home in the big year. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And yes, a quick review to get us underway today. Greatest cycling coach ever, five stars by... You do not expect me to say that name, do you? Damien Roos brings it every single time he gets behind the mic. I've been listening for about four months and love what I'm hearing. Keep up the excellent work. Thank you very much for writing that review. I really, really do appreciate it. And definitely a reminder to you that if you love the show, please take some time out to give us a review on iTunes because five stars make me go ding, 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 dong. Thank you very much. And the articles this week, okay, the first one, it's a great roundup of cycling software. There is a lot of cycling software out there and is popping up. Darren Cope has put together a list, and I've got the link in the show notes, so you can check out all the different ones. I'm pretty sure it's the most comprehensive list you can get on the internet of all the different types of software. I've added a couple in there, but definitely check it out if you're looking to add any new things to your training regime or you're just looking to see what's out there and explore a little bit. The second one is a blog post on a website called Aero Weenie, which is pretty classic because I guess it's the weight weenie version for Aero Dudes, and it's called Aero Tune-Up, and it's basically someone that has their older bike, and they have a bit of envy and jealousy towards new bikes, so they're setting up their old bike to look as sexy and be as efficient when it comes to the Aero stuff as the new one. This particular post takes an older style Cervelo and it makes it look pretty sexy. He sets out to actually get similar aero savings as you would with the newer bike. And the whole website itself is pretty cool. I would check it out. But firstly, start with this post, especially if you do have an older time trial bike that you want to trick out and make look a little sexier because it started to look a bit dated. But of course, the bottom line is aero here. But you can't ride a bike that looks dog ugly as well. Okay, so the nuts and bolts this week, it's a prime cycling framework by a guy called Jim Taylor, PhD, and I came across a YouTube video or a speech that he did called It's All About the Mind, The Psychology of Cycling. It's on a series that the University of California has put together, and it's a really great series, and I probably will be going through a few of the other videos over time, but this one really struck out to me because the framework itself, all the parts were kind of familiar, but the way it was broken down, it really spoke to me, and I thought that I would run through this entire speech and give you an idea of my thoughts on the different parts of the framework as well as the framework itself. The prime cycling framework is six mental areas for a cyclist to ride their best. So if you're riding at a consistently high level under the most challenging conditions, this is what Taylor defines as prime cycling. Can it be learnt? Yes, it can be learnt and I do believe that because it's about developing skills and what this is is a mental toolbox for different situations. So really this ties together a lot of what I speak about on Semi-Pro but the strength of it is that it places certain mental factors in a hierarchy. 
so you can go from one level to the next or take stock of where you are in preparation for A races and take the steps in your prep to address these issues so you get the most out of yourself in the event that you choose. The first thing he does start with is what race are you competing in? If you're competing in a race, you always just think, okay, it's against the person next to you. So all you have to do is beat the person next to you. But he breaks it down into three categories, which I find really, really fascinating. The first race that you have to win is the mental race, which is the race against yourself. The second one is the race against the course, the race against the elements and the obstacles in the course itself. And the third one is the competitive race, the race against others. And thinking about a race like this really enables you to pull back and have a look at your approach of each of these factors individually, because I believe that at some level you do implicitly consider these three, whether you just focus on one element to get you through them, just like following wheels at all costs or planning to hurt only on the hills and knowing the threshold for them, or you just want to ride within yourself so you can finish which may be from a lack of confidence, but splitting them out like this means that you can prepare for all three before a race. The strategies then have more of one element to them, which can make you more flexible during a race, and you have more to call on at challenging times, and this is why Taylor calls it a mental toolbox for different situations. And so the way he splits it out even further is in a pyramid, and it's a pyramid of prime cycling success, and I'll break down these in a moment, but it really covers these elements, starting from the bottom, which is the foundation which is motivation and it moves through to confidence and then intensity focus emotions and then pain starting with the foundation and the foundation is motivation which is something i've definitely spoken about before finding your why he defines it as the determination and drive to achieve your goals and why is this important it's because motivation is everything in life and in cycling. It's really the thing that's going to get you going every time you get on the bike. It's the reason you ride. It's the reason that you put up with the bad things. Your motivation is the main factor in how hard you will push yourself in every single training ride and in races themselves. Another point he brings up is this thing, effort versus goals. And you have to put in the time in order to reach your goals. So it's one thing to think about a big vision and where you want to go, say in five years' time, but it's another thing to actually just wake up tomorrow morning and do something that moves you towards that. And you really have to question when you're doing that, am I doing the work necessary to reach those real goals? And that's where the motivation sort of wraps up all of this and puts it into a real context when you're thinking about where you want to go and how you're going to get there. But one of the most interesting elements of motivation that Taylor has put together is this thing he calls the grind. And it's the parts of cycling that aren't fun, basically. That's how I kind of felt when he was explaining it. And true champions, he believes, push harder at this point because they know the work here is the difference. And this is the idea. Once you start getting up to the rarefied air, once you start sticking your head in a certain area where you know it's difficult and it's hard and it's grinding, that is where you're going to make your biggest gains. And that is where you're going to make your biggest gains against your competitors and also yourself. And this is something you experience when you start training seriously. I don't know if you have experienced it personally. Because by serious, I mean training when there'll be times when you're just riding to get the hours in or you're just doing a certain thing to evoke a certain response in your body. And there's always ways around this. And if you do talk to certain cyclists, they will say that if you feel the grind, you're doing it wrong. But I do believe it's inevitable at some point whether it's just not being 100%, so whether your body just isn't 100% because there's always some type of ailment that can't fix itself 100% because you're actually training through it and you can't afford the rest. 
But I think I've spoken about this before, but there was one moment when I was training a few years ago and I was on a dead road. It was the middle of winter. It was a horrible crosswind with some rain or whatever coming at me. And I just looked up at one point and I said, I am not enjoying this at all. And so that would be the moment where if I had big motivation, I knew that ride was important, that I would just say, okay, I've got to push through this, put your head down, stop complaining and keep going. But at that point, my motivation wasn't strong enough and I pulled the pin on that ride and went home. So this is probably the difference. And this is why the motivation or the reason that you're doing something is so important because it's going to get you through those hard times to ensure that you can reach the goal that you've set. The cool thing about the speech that Taylor put together is that each of these steps he has take action steps. So some actual practical steps that can help you get through this. So with motivation, he's talking about goals drawing away the pain. And the goals actually also create emotions that avoid the pain. This is really timely for me because an athlete I coach used the motivation of beating a convicted doper to get him through a long and hard trainer session that he was having troubles with. And I thought that was a really interesting way to put yourself in a position where you want to beat somebody some imaginary person just to get you through the actual training session. So that's definitely one way to use motivation on a micro level. Other ways, having a training partner, and I've experienced this in full effect, and if you can get the right person at the right level, whether that person is somebody that is better than you because you want to be pulled up and that doesn't psych you out too much, which for me it does a little bit, or you want to have somebody that's worse than you that you can kind of push you to beat you from the front. Whichever way that your head works, if you are aware of who the right person is, the right person can definitely make all the difference. The other one is identifying your greatest competitor. I used to motivate myself in intervals by using the last name of my competitor as the one word that I kept in my head during the hard intervals. And looking back now, it's interesting that the word had hate in it. It's a strong word, but it worked at the time so whatever was working at the time I'm happy with and the final take action is ride for the right reasons so are you riding for health are you riding to win are you riding for money only kidding that is not what we're here for so moving on to the next one if we start moving up the pyramid is confidence which Taylor defines as how strongly you believe in your ability to achieve your goals and he thinks that it's the most important mental factor and I have to agree that I'm very close to that as well because confidence is something that can go up and down depending where you are it's more volatile than fitness but training develops the belief in your ability to complete rides whether it's a difference in fitness or distance or any other variable that you face during a race and so it does change depending on the situation you're in every single time so if you have an ability to draw on something to build your confidence when you're actually going out for a race or even a big training ride with heavy hitters that you know they're going to smash you but you want to be able to stick on their wheel having the confidence or the ability to not lose a certain amount of confidence is really really key here and the take action steps preparation so every ride puts money in the bank it's definitely that idea that when you hit the line you want to know that you've done the most you can to do the best you can in the race for me this is about not breaking promises with yourself because once you give yourself a break in the training ride when you drop the wheel then you're much more likely to do it in a race so just train yourself to be able to Keep that confidence in training rides and put the time in in training rides to think about not losing a wheel or not breaking any promises with yourself so when it comes to the race, you can stick to it and it doesn't hurt as much. Another part of this is 
know when you lose confidence because you can lose confidence because of pain or loss of focus or whatever it is. You know, someone rocks up, a new person rocks up to the start line, you've never seen them before and their embroidication is making their legs pop and you're like, I am scared. Whatever it is, know when this is. This is definitely something I've spoken about before, but how will you react when you're dropped on the first hill? How about if you find yourself in a solo break, the other side, not getting dropped, but popping out the front? If you've never been in these positions before, and even if you have, these are the moments that can divine a race. So know thyself. Know how your confidence fluctuates. Know why it fluctuates. And then you can work on those parts. The other one is old school self-talk, which I did point out in an article a couple of weeks ago that self-talk can actually help you get better or increase your performance. This is all about what you say to yourself and how it impacts on what you do. So next time you go out for a ride, be aware of what you're saying to yourself when the ride gets hard and then you can work on the strategy like I spoke about, choosing certain words, one or two words for different types of situations in the race and perhaps linking them to those times in the race where you know that you'll lose confidence. So moving up again, intensity is the next one and Taylor defines this as the amount of physiological activity you feel before and during races. So he talks about a range of intensity from sleep to terror. You are going to be somewhere in that range. I'm sure it's not going to be sleep or terror, but maybe pretty close to terror, depending if you're riding the hammerhead at Stronglow or not. But anyway, the goal here really is to monitor and adjust your intensity. So when you're monitoring your intensity, you're looking out for different situations so you know how you react to them. Again, but this is more of what your body is doing in these certain situations. You may respond better to higher intensity in certain situations, but really when it comes down to it, higher intensity is not going to get you through an entire endurance race. So you've got to be really, really careful when it comes to letting intensity take over when really you have to calm yourself down. So you would know what type of person you are, which flows into the type of racer you are. This is where you can take control of the intensity and whether you need to amp up or calm down in certain situations, but really knowing yourself in those key situations is where it's going to help you. And taking action in the intensity realm is controlling the situations, like on a climb you can control your breathing. Controlling really is in your breathing. And then so once you understand that your intensity and your whole body is getting tense, where if you're under pressure on a climb, you may feel that you're gripping the handlebars super tight and your shoulders are rising and your, and your breath becomes short. So you can control all of those things to relax your body. So you can take deep breaths in. You can do the old couple of deep breaths through the nose, which opens up a little bit more air in the lungs. And just be conscious of relaxing your hands, even if you have to take your hands off the handlebars and give them a shake or whatever, and they're also dropping your shoulders. So focusing on putting power from the hips down, which is an oldie but a goodie because it still stands, especially in road riding, because you don't need all that upper body stuff to be tense because you're just wasting energy there. So shake it all out. The other interesting one is smile. And it may sound crazy because, like Taylor says, you're not going through and trying to be happy in this process. You're not trying to trick your body into be happy in this process. That's pretty crazy. But what you're trying to do is smile. You're just trying to evoke a little bit more of emotion that you're enjoying it. So you're flipping around this intensity and trying to enjoy the intensity uh, and get into a better headspace or get your whole body into a better place by faking it till you make it, essentially. So moving up, the next one is focus, and I believe focus is a really important one, especially when it comes down to training, and Taylor defines it as concentrate on the things that help and avoid distractions that hurt performance. 
focus is a big thing for quality training, and this is something I really, really believe in, that you have to focus 100% on your interval training, and I think it's the most important thing because it's where you make your gains. It's where you make the large gains in your training. At certain levels of quality training in intervals, that is where you have to put in the effort so you can hit the numbers, and that's going to be your 80-20 of training. For example, talking about myself and, and my training, for example, I know that I program Tuesdays to be the most important days. So not only when I wake up am I aware but when I'm warming up and I concentrate where my mind needs to be before, during, and after the efforts. And things that I use to get me through other lines, like before I'm using one at a time, put everything into this one, halfway, it's all downhill from here, last one, make it count. So I'm using these to kind of put myself back into focus just before I drop in and do another interval. During, my brain tends to be only capable of one word at a time in the middle of an interval, but this is where I choose something like focus or yes or push or harder, and I really know the parts of the course that I'm riding on that I have to put it in, whether there's an extra little pinch that I know it pushes me slightly more out of my comfort zone. I tend to know those fairly early on because I set a really consistent place where I do most of my intervals, so you get to know that hill or whatever you're doing the intervals on, and you know the parts of that hill that are super hard, so it's even micro-focus in the middle of an interval that makes a really big difference as well. The other reason you want to do it is because efficiency. And if your mind is drifting, so is your efficiency. So is the smoothness of your pedal. So is the, like we talked about, the relaxation of your upper body. All of the efficiency can sort of disappear if your focus disappears, which this is difficult because this is something you have to train over a long time. And the other reason that you want to get this together is because it leaves for consistent race performance. And it really ties into that efficiency thing because our races are quite long generally. So even if you are talking about a two-hour race, that means that you have to have concentration at some level for that entire two hours to get the most out of your body. It may not be at the top end, so it may not be while you're struggling at the top end or putting it in. It could be if you're just cruising along in a road race, but you, you still have to maintain some type of focus so that you can absolutely get the best out of yourself. Now, taking action when it comes to intensity is choose a keyword. And I think this is an interesting one, and especially because when you're at the upper level intensity, like you said, you don't have much brain capacity, so it's only one or two words that will only be around you that you can kind of control and think about. And using words like breathe, calm, attack, make it a word that has meaning at challenging times of the race. Words like breathe and calm are if you need to bring yourself down and focus on not going too hard or blowing out all of your energy. Attack is if you need to wind up the tension in your body. And it's important to know how your focus drifts off and which direction you go in. And definitely the hot tip from Taylor is put it on your handlebars. Have it there so you can't get away from it. I think that's a great tip because your brain's going to go into other places. And if you do lose focus, this is just going to be a visual cue to bring you right back to where you need to be. He also uses this thing called the three P's, positive. Think positive. Think positive about the situation you're in. Number two is process. What do I need to do to ride well? Whether that is positioning, whether that is head placement, whatever that is. And the third one is present. What do I need to do now? So when you're in the moment right now, like I spoke about, when I'm on an actual interval, I know the tough bits of that actual interval because I don't have one gradient hill that I'm going at. But even then, there may be a time frame that you get into trouble. So be present in the moment. What do you do, need to do right at that moment to get the best out of yourself? So moving up here to the second last one, which is emotions. Emotions is defined by Taylor as intense states that arise in response to situations that influence thoughts and behavior. 
Common emotions in cycling are fear, anger, frustration, despair, pride, joy, elation. So there's lots of emotions that you can go through during a ride. And if you're left with your own thoughts, then you can just go off onto some weirdo tangent and probably never come back from it, especially if you're just on a solo training ride and you've got nothing to pull you back. One really interesting thing that kind of has nothing to do with performance at all, but Taylor talks about after a long ride that you're at your purest, that I really believe this. I really enjoy those endorphins that kick in after you have been out on the bike for three or four hours. But when you get home, everything seems to fall away and you're really at a really calm, beautiful state. And this is one reason that I do ride and I hope that you experience this too. And if you think about yourself after a ride, the good, bad and the ugly, it's kind of You've taken away all of those things and you're left with who you are at your purest, which I really think is quite a powerful way to think about what writing does for you. But getting back on track, emotions impact psychology and physiology. And the example he does for physiology is riding on anger and your whole body will get tense and you'll be smashing it out and you will effectively wear yourself out if you are riding just on anger. So your emotional reaction to events on a race, flats, cramps, remind yourself that there's always something left. Don't get caught up when you do have any problems. And this is where this is a mental toolbox and you can draw on this at certain times. Don't get caught up if there is flats or cramps or anything else that's going to stop you for a little while or slow you down. Just remind yourself there's always something left in you and you're capable of a whole lot more. And so because we're getting right up the top here, we're getting into the nitty gritty of if you can master this type of stuff and if you can master your emotions in racing, then you really start playing with the big boys because whoever loses emotional control first essentially loses the race. If someone can't handle the situation that they're in in a tense moment in a race, then you're gone. So you've beaten them or you've been beaten, whatever it is. And to take action in the emotional realm, recognize hot button situations, step back, get distance, and then go back in. So when these situations do happen like flats and cramps, don't let it get to you. Step back, try and pull yourself out of the bad emotional state that you're in and look at the big picture of this. Look at the training you've done, whatever confidence you may have to fall back on or whatever it is to get you in the state, the better state, the better emotional state that you can do this. Know what sets you off, how you can step back and how you can get back into the race without it affecting you too much. Another interesting one which he brings up is bad emotions could be a nutritional crisis. So it may just be that you're running low on fuel and that means that your brain starts to wander into a bad place. So when you start to lose it on the bike, eat and drink something and see if that changes the way that you're thinking. So be conscious about your actual emotions drifting off into bad ones and then see if it is a nutritional issue and see if food and drink makes a difference the final one here is pain, and pain is defined by Taylor as sensory and emotional experience of discomfort, distress, or agony, and we all know it. All cyclists know pain at whatever level it is. That's the head nod you get when you see another cyclist. That's the representation that you are riding and you know how to ride hard and you know how to hurt yourself. Pain is an instinctive mechanism that protects us from death. It was the thing that saved us back in the day when there was legitimate threats that could kill us. But now pain is not going to kill us during a ride. The only thing it does, it hinders us from pushing ourselves hard enough to get the best out of ourselves. And he does split it into two parts again, physical and psychological. And putting pain into perspective is probably the biggest way that you can firstly 
justify to yourself that you're not going to die or that it really isn't as big as you thought it was. And he talks about someone suffering through something like cancer or a serious injury. It's then that you have real pain. It's then that you're being affected by real pain. I think the funniest thing of this entire speech is when he talks about when people come back from a hard ride and they talk about something being a real suffer fest, he's talking that you are not really suffering because you can stop at any point. And that's the interesting thing. And that really puts into perspective for me. And so it's more just physical discomfort. And he talks about that was really a physical discomfort which really puts the picture in my mind that you can choose how much pain you want at any one time and that choice means that you have a lot of power over how hard you ride and, and how long you sustain that pain for and whether you let it get to you or not. So this comes down to how you interpret your pain and if you interpret it as not being as bad as you thought it was, then you may be able to push harder than you ever thought you could. And if you take action here, relaxing and deep breathing will loosen the muscles when you are in pain itself. The biggest takeaway I get from the take action part is use pain as information. And Taylor talks about that beginners disassociate with pain, and so they want to try and get away from it. They use headphones or they try and distract themselves from the pain, whereas the elite riders, they associate with pain because it gives them valuable information about their body position, about their gear selection, about where they're actually feeling for the day. And I think that is a really, really good point. Pain really is one of the best indicators of how you're going or can you change something so you can just adjust that pain. And that's a really powerful, powerful way of thinking about pain and using it for the better rather than for the worse. If you can generate positive associations with pain and getting in there and really enjoying the pain cave or the hurt box, then I really think you're going to be better off in the long run. And I think this is why it sits at the top of the pyramid because this stuff is really hard and it takes time to actually appreciate the pain. And this is where I think the separation of elite riders and non-elite riders are. That elite riders have been able to take that pain and use it for better, whether it is information or whether they really do enjoy it or they just understand that the pain is the part of the process of being a very good rider. Overall, I hope this framework enables you to pick off a spot of where you think you are and then you can work your way up the pyramid so then you really do have this powerful mental toolbox that you can draw on at certain times and you can separate out all these different segments. This stuff is not easy. You can't just write it down and you're going to remember it. You have to somehow get this innately into your writing and that definitely takes time. My recommendation for how to do this is start at the bottom. Start at the foundation of motivation and then work your way up. Once you have all these things down, then you can definitely incorporate them more and more into your writing. Overall, if something through this, if one of these has kind of hit a note with you, then start with that one first. Start with the one that's going to motivate you to do something first. You can check out this and it's broken down in more detail on his blog and I'll put a link in the show notes. I think it's a really, really important framework for the mind and also plays off into a whole other things like training and preparation for big races. All right, so the tech hacks and products section, I want to talk about my helmet, the Cask Vertigo. Now, I bought this helmet primarily because it was one of the only brands that the shop had and I was in a bit of a rush, but it really is quite hard for me to recommend this helmet, and I'll get into that in a moment, but the helmet itself, yes, Cask is the brand used by Sky, and I remember when they first came out, I was thinking, they look really ugly. They are really big and buff. so I wasn't aware of the subtleties between the Vertigo and the Mojito, and it's actually the Mojito, the second one down, the 
that most of the Sky Riders use. And the Vertigo is probably what they used in the first year, but then they got rid of it, and I can see why. And I didn't have a mirror when I did it. This is like this horrible sin, and I regret it every time I put my helmet on. But anyway... It's not just about looks. Well, it's 80% looks, 20% comfort to me. And I've got to say, the comfort bit is down. It is very comfortable. It has a nice leather strap. You know, it fits the head perfectly. It really works for my head. So I'm happy with that part. But the cons, it just makes me look like a buff head. I'm not happy with it all. I don't know whether my head is small, and that's the reason it doesn't look good. But also, the retention at the back is so big that it's very hard to get your sunglasses on the outside. It actually stretches sunglasses. So you have to slot them in underneath, which is a real pain in the head. So I can't recommend the cask vertigo. I'm not a fan of it. It doesn't fit my head. It doesn't look good. And so skip it altogether. If you want to entertain the idea of a cask helmet, then go for the mojito because it's a little smaller. And even though it isn't the top of the range one, I do believe that you'll look better and it will be just as comfortable. Now that quote from the top of the show, it's Baden Cookie Cook. I suspect after not getting a ride on the Orica Green Edge 2014 team, Cook announced his retirement from pro cycling this year after 14 years slogging it out in the pro peloton. He will definitely be most remembered for this one, though. Look how close the battle for green was in the end. Baden Cook at just 24 years of age, edging out Robbie McEwen. Such great rivalry. And there's no doubt that Cookie still has the potential to be around the pro circuit for many, many years. Aiden, this is only your second tour to France. You're up there with Lance Armstrong. You've got the green jersey. This is a dream. You've got to pitch yourself. I mean, I come into this tour with what I considered average form. I'd, I'd had a, a period of about three months without a win, and then just a couple of weeks before the tour, I had a win at Tour of Swiss, but I still didn't feel that strong. But I guess kept doing the work each day, and... And uh, we came here, and then when Brad had his win, it sort of really inspired me, and uh, it's just it's just been amazing. I never, I didn't feel like I'd be anywhere near this type of form. It's a relief. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's just going to be, we're going to be going crazy tonight. Pretty amazing. He was only 24 at the time. It was the same year that Brad McGee of his same Francais du Jour team wore the yellow jersey, which made it an amazing tour for the Aussies. And definitely that is what we're going to remember him for. But good luck in the future, Cook. You have given us some great memories, and I really look forward to seeing where you go to and what you do next. And that's it for this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 